All right, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us again this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. As we're going to be continuing our teaching series this morning on knowing the Holy Spirit. I think we're about in week 13. I know we still have a few more lessons to go on this. I'm, I'm getting closer to the end on this. But there's just a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. You know, if I was teaching this out of college, I would probably have Holy Spirit 1, Holy Spirit 2, Holy Spirit 3. And so this would be a long course. And all the Bible college I went to, uh, they, they had a very extensive courses or classes on, on this, uh, on the subject of knowing the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, I, uh, before I go there, just so you know, all of our Bible studies, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. We also invite you to join us tonight for our Bible study on Effortless Change by Andrew Womack. That's at 6 o'clock tonight, and then we have a Bible study on Wednesday nights at 7 by the same author, uh, Andrew Womack, and that is on the Believer's Authority. And again, all of our messages are archived on our website, and uh, as well as our YouTube channel. And we also thank you for our partners who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings and their partnerships on our website through lighthousediscipleship.org. So anyway, without further ado, I want to get back into the message this morning. Uh, again, we're talking about knowing the Holy Spirit, and I want to always, uh, in this series, we kick it off with our, our key verse, and that's found again in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. It's the very last verse of uh, Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. It says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And then also, let me get my clicker real quick here. And, um, excuse me. I want to read it again from the, the message translation. And it says, And the amazing grace of the Master Jesus Christ and the extravagant love of God and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Again, and I said this, I've been saying this every week, we talk a lot about knowing Jesus. We talk a lot about knowing the Father. This particular series I'm, t I'm highlighting, knowing the third member of the, of the Godhead, and that is the Holy Spirit. Okay? We talk a lot about the, the amazing grace uh, of, our, of Jesus Christ. We talk a lot about the extravagant love of the Father. In this particular series, I'm, I'm highlighting knowing the friendship, the, the, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. Well, with all that said and, and, and whatnot, I want to continue. I want to talk, I actually want, I'm looking forward to hopefully starting today talking about oil and wine and how it relates to the Holy Spirit. And I'll probably spend a couple of weeks on that as we kind of steer this towards a conclusion. <clears throat> but at the same point in time, I didn't quite finish last week talking about prophecy, and I got I, I think the video might even got cut off towards the end when I was talking about how we are supposed to judge prophecy. So I want to go back and, and, and to First Corinthians fourteen, First Corinthians fourteen, and I want to uh, talk about uh, this uh, prophecy and specifically about how we're supposed to judge it. So if you have your Bibles, go back with me real quick to First Corinthians fourteen. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I want to go forward, but I do. I, I don't want to cut this out of our the archives of our teaching, and so on this. So, First Corinthians fourteen, 
And we're going to pick it back up in verse 29. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29 is where we're going to pick it back up. And Paul has been spending a lot of time in, 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 in uh, chapter 12 and 14, specifically talking about the gifts. He's highlighting in chapter 14 tongues and prophecy. And he, 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 he tells us to pursue love, desire all gifts, especially that we may prophesy. Why? So we can edify the church. We can edify one another. But he, said, he gives them some instructions here. He gave some instructions about tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And now he's given some instructions about prophecy. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. I'm not going to read the whole context again because, again, you'll have to look at our video from last week in our archives. But this, this verse, you know, has bothered some people, and I just want to bring some attention to it. Let two or three prophets speak and let others judge. He gave this, at the, the first part of the verse, he gave that instruction about, uh, about tongues. You know, let, two, let there be uh, two or three at the most. You know, I don't think God needs to speak through all 100... <coughs> God wants to speak to all of us, <clears throat> but He doesn't have. We don't. He, he, we don't have to have all all the people in the church give the same the same message. I believe God can speak to one person, speak to us all, and and, and maybe two or three or whatnot. And um, I'm going to say some more things about prophecy towards the end of this little segment here. But is it, but he, the, the part I want to zero in on in this particular segment of my teaching is that let the others judge. And some people have the problem with that word judge because they, they think they re, they, there's some scriptures that, that can give the connotation of that we're not supposed to judge. But there are some things we are supposed to judge. And let me bring, just bring some clarity to that. He says, let two or three speak, but let the others judge. You know, and I believe, I believe we have to judge what is said. We're never judging the person, but we are going to judge what is said. Uh, judging righteously. We are, again, we're not judging people, but we are condemned. We can, if the, if the word is not from God, we can condemn uh, what the word. We can pronounce judgment on the word. It says in uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 54, verse 17, that any word that rises up against you, you can condemn. Okay, but but when we judge a word, we're not judging the person. We're, again, we're judging the word, and we're never we're never casting curses or judgment on a person. We judge, I believe, with righteous judgment, with love and mercy and grace. You know, if someone says to me, "Thus says the Lord," I'm going to judge what they said. I'm not going to judge them. But I'm going to judge them with righteousness and with love and with mercy. In other words, no one's going to speak evil of my life, of my wife, of, uh, the, of my family, of the church, and, 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 and other things that are, are important in my life. I'm not going to allow that. I'm not going to condone that. Uh, I'm going to judge what is said. Okay. So again, uh, we're in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verse 29 specifically. And I'm just finishing up some things from last week, and then I want to get some new territory this morning. Um, you know, I believe also, too, if we jump down to verse 33, 1 Corinthians 14 to 3, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the church, churches of the saints. You know, when God speaks, He doesn't bring confusion. He doesn't bring judgment. Why, you know, why do I think that God doesn't judge? Because He's already judged our sins to the cross. 
Okay? Now, uh, there is a, 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 a judgment coming for all who have rejected Jesus, and that's another teaching. I talk about that in my teaching, Seeing Jesus in the Revelation. I spend a whole hour on that. Uh, but, and I believe there is a judgment for those who receive Christ. But those who have received Christ, our sins have already been judged in Jesus Christ. Am I saying that God doesn't correct us and discipline us? No, He does. He, he, he disciplines the one He loves. All Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It's used for training. But God is not going to curse us. God is not going to pour out His wrath on us. Uh, he's not going to judge us twice for the same sins that uh, Jesus took on from uh, us. We are never going to judge negatively the person speaking. But we must judge what is said. And, so, and, and I reason I spent a little time on this just because I felt like I didn't finish this last week and I felt like the video got cut off towards the end is that I, I think people are confused about this. Let, I, I painted this picture last week, but I don't know if the video cut it. You know, we have to judge things all the time. We need to judge what our, as parents, we need to judge what our parents, our, our kids eat, what they watch, what they listen to, who they associate with, who they play with. Even as adults, we need to, we need to judge who we're gonna marry, where we're gonna go to church, uh, what we watch, what we listen to, who we associate it with. You know, uh, Jesus said in the parable of the sower, uh, I think it's Mark or Luke, but take heed what you hear. We need to take heed. We need to judge what we hear. Now, I'm not gonna go all these scriptures, so just bear with me, cause I'm, I wanna get to some new territory this morning. But in John 7.24, Jesus says, Don't judge by appearance, but make righteous judgments. You know, you will ruin your life if you don't, if you don't quit judging by appearance. If you don't quit judging people. You will ruin your life if you're just a critical person and always judging people. But you will also ruin your life if you don't have righteous judgment. If you don't have discernment and uh and because in these last days when people are calling good evil and evil good you will be deceived if you don't make some righteous judgments about what is being said and what is being conveyed and what is being taught you can be ensnared by the devil by the enemy if you don't make some righteous judgments by what is said and some things in the name of the Lord. Okay? We must judge what is right and wrong. I gave, last week I gave six things. I don't, again, I don't know if they got cut off in the video. But six things that, whether you are giving a prophecy, or whether you are receiving a prophecy, that you can, I believe you can use these six things that, uh, that the judge things by. And, and I don't know if I shared this last week, but I got this section of the notes from Dwayne Sheriff. That's what, how he judges prophecy. And I liked it, and so I adopted it. And so here, here it is. If, if, again, if you give a prophecy, or if you hear a prophecy, I believe you can judge every prophecy by these six things. The first one is, confirm what God is saying. It should confirm what God is saying. God doesn't need to speak to me third hand. He can, he can affirm and confirm the thing that God is saying to me, but I'm a child of God and God can speak to me directly. Now I understand that sometimes I'm not always listening. Sometimes you're not always, we're not always listening. And so sometimes we do need that confirmation for God to get our attention. You know, and, uh, we're, we're, we've all been there. Okay, so there's, there, there, there's enough, if I can say, judgment to go around with that. 
You know, but it should confirm what God is saying. You know, if someone gives me a prophecy and it's contrary to what God is saying, you know, if God's been telling me, go north, and all of a sudden someone gives me a word, go south, then I'm going to be questioning that. Lord, this is different than what you've been telling me to do. I know that's a hypothetical situation, but we should, it should confirm what God has already been saying. Or you hear a word, you know, and you go back to the Lord. Lord, is this you? We need to judge that. We have a helper. We have a friend, the Holy Spirit, that we can, we can judge every word that's been given. Lord, is this you? The second thing is, it should line up with the Word of God. There's no prophecy that's not going to line up with the Word of God. Now, I know there's, you know, I mean, uh, there's some things that you're not going to find in the Word of God. For example, you're not going to find an iPad in the Word of God. Or should I get a cell phone? You're not going to find some things because they didn't have that technology back there. But there's some principles. There's principles of how we are to be good stewards of our money and whatnot, how we hear from God, and He, and he leads and directs our steps. You know, uh, it should always line up with the Word of God. It should minister peace. Uh, or, or let me let me rephrase it. Does it minister peace or confusion? Is the word that you're giving or the word that you're receiving does it does it bring peace or does it bring confusion? God's not the author of confusion; He's the author of peace. So does it bring peace or does it bring confusion? I mean, you know, sometimes if it, even if it is a corrective word, it should, there's still an element of peace in that because you know that it's true. You know it's right. You might not, your flesh might not like it, but it's something that you need to hear. There's a minister of grace and mercy. Even if it's a corrective word, there should, there will always be an element of grace and mercy. God always corrects with grace and mercy. He always reproves with grace and mercy. Again, we're not, we're not condemning the person, we are condemning the word at times, or we're judging the word. You know, but He always does it with grace and mercy. The, the fifth thing is, does it condemn? God is not going to condemn us. We may condemn the word, but we're not going to condemn us. And the word that we give, we're not going to condemn somebody else. We might condemn the, 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 the word. We might even condemn a behavior or an attitude or an action, but we're never going to condemn the person. Big difference, okay? Uh, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no, absolutely not. And then uh, I gave three points last week about, uh, and this comes from Scripture, does it edify, does it exhort, and does it comfort? And that came from First uh, Corinthians 14, and we, we discussed that last week. I'm not going to rehash that. It should edify. Several times in chapter 12, 13, and 14, Paul uses the word edify. It should build up. It should exhort. It should bring comfort. Okay. Now, where I didn't go last week, and you can turn with me real quickly here, is First Thessalonians chapter five. First Thessalonians chapter five. We're still on the same subject of judging prophecies, okay? And prophecy in general. But real quick, and again, I, I want to go a little fast with some of these verses because I want to go, go to some new territory this morning, hopefully. But Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. <coughs> Verse 19, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, there's that word test, or judge again, hold fast what 
is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So, there's a lot of things listed here, but I, I, we're talking about prophecies, and I want to start with verse, we start again with verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good, and abstain from, from the form of evil. Now, uh, I, I'm not going to, I'm going to go here in a few moments, but in Ephesians chapter 4, Verses 29 to 32, Paul lists several things that can quench and frustrate the Spirit of God. And they have, they, a lot of those things have to do with lying, gossip, stealing, evil communication, bearing false witness, and all those things. Those are the type of things that can quench the Holy Spirit. Those frustrate the Holy Spirit that Paul talks about. We'll go there in just a moment. But he says here, don't, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Do not despise prophecy, test all things, and abstain from every form of evil. Andrew Womack, in his commentary, he says he believes that these three things that are listed under uh, verses 20, 21, 22 are things that can quench the spirit. He also, he he says, you know, it's usually matters of the heart. How many know when we are lying, gossiping, stealing, and and, and slandering one another and, and, and biting with one another? Those are actually, yes, the actions are wrong, but it's coming from the heart. There's something wrong with the heart. There's something wrong with the attitude. There's something wrong. The, all behavior starts with the attitude. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, if you have an attitude problem, you usually have a heart problem. Okay, if you have a behavior problem, there's a heart problem. Okay, that goes deeper. And it, it, a lot of times it stems from unbelief or rebellion. But also he brings out how, how you know, when we despise prophecy, we don't prove all things and we don't abstain from um, all appearance of evil, those things can quench the Holy Spirit as well. We need to we need to not despise prophecies and I'm not talking about when I'm talking about we can judge the prophecies I'm not despising the prophecies, but I do want it to, be, I do want it to edify exhort and comfort. I do want it to, to line up with the word of God. I do want it to be from God. And, you know, Dwayne Sheriff talked about how he received a prophecy one time that his wife was going to die. And basically, I think if I, and I've heard several ministers get, uh, get prophecies from a, a member of the church that their spouse was going to die so they could marry them. <laughs> that's not God. <laughs> you know, that's foolishness. That's evil. That's demonic. Okay? Um, but we're not despising prophecies, but we do want, we do need to test and prove all things. We do need to abstain from all appearance of evil. There's a lot more I can share about that, but we're not despising prophecies. But at the same point in time, here in the, right now we're talking about the church in Thessalonica. You know, and even today in many, many circles, that there's been so much abuse with prophecies that people have despised prophecies. Same thing with tongues, same thing with other things. There's been so much abuse that people have despised it. Now this church in Thessalonica, I talked a lot about the Corinthian church, how they were just having a lot of division and, and, and social problems. This church, they believed that Jesus had already returned. This church believed that, 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 that this church uh, said quit uh, um, I, 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 I'm sorry, I have something in my notes. I can't read my notes here. But th- this church had some issues as well. Um, so, excuse me, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm a little choppy here. But this church had some issues as well. And, and 
This church despised, was despising prophecies because of some of the abuse. Some churches, like the church of Thessalonica, saw what was going on in Corinth, and they didn't want that going on in there. You know, there's, some, so, there's been so much abuse in, the, the, in some spirit-filled churches that some people, it's just been distasteful, and people have despised it. I'm not teaching to despise prophecy, but I am teaching, according to the words of Paul, that we are to do same things decently and in order. We ought to edify, exhort, and comfort one another. You know, the, let me just bring another scripture towards this judging. Go with me real quick, real quick to First John chapter four. First John chapter four. It says, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world." This is another teaching. There's been multiple things that we are to test things. We know we need to test. The spirits, because there's many false prophets, many false prophecies. And then one last one on, on, on the subject of judging. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7, because this is really where a lot of the problem on judging stems from. And uh, well, uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but real quick, uh, Matthew 7 1, it says, Judge not. And most people put a period right there. It's not a period, there's a comma. That you may not be judged. But with the judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. We have to read verse 1 and 2 together. It, it, you know, it judge not that you may not be judged. Now there is a period at the end of verse 1, but verse 2 goes with it. For with, the, with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, you will be measured back to you. Again, I've been saying all along that we judge the prophecy... We're not, we're not, I didn't say we're condemning all prophecies. I said we're judging to see if it's from God or not. But, but, uh, we're not, we're never judging the person. We're never condemning the person. <coughs> judge not unless you be judged. Be careful how you judge, because how you judge, you will be judged. That is why I say, I'm gonna judge with righteous judgment. I'm going to judge with mercy and compassion because I want people to judge me with righteousness, mercy, and compassion. I want, to, I want to judge everything by the Word of God. Why? Because I want everyone to judge what I'm teaching, everything that I say by the Word of God. I, you know, the Bible says that we should, even what I teach, you should do like the church in Berea who went to go see if these things be so. It's dangerous to take every speaker, every minister at, at face value. That is dangerous. That is, that is not right. You need to judge everything that's being taught, everything that's being prophesied by the Word of God and what was said. And, but you're judging again what was said, not the person. Okay? And then uh, real quickly, let's go to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse 18. And uh, I want to read a little bit of context here. Um, and do not be drunk with wine, in which disputation but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, singing, making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another 
in the fear of love. In the fear of God, who is love. <laughs> okay? In other words, one of the things I want to get back here. Remember this church in Corinthians had so many issues about fighting and devouring one another. Paul actually spends a little bit of time on this in Ephesians 4 and here again in verse 5, uh, chapter 5. But when are we as a church, when are we as a body of Christ going to quit attacking one another and submitting to one another in the fear of God, in the love of God? You know, in these last days, church, I, I'm not here condemning prophecies and tongues. I'm here promoting it. Because in these last days, we are going to need one another. We need the Lord. We need the whole, our friend, the Holy Spirit. But we need one another. And there, this is not a time, this is not the day and age where we need to be fighting with one another. Because there are going to be times where we are going to need a word of encouragement. We're going to need to be edified. We're going to need to be exhorted to keep going on and keep pressing on. We need to be comforted by one another, by a word of prophecy or tongue, interpretation of tongues, or one of the other gifts. There's going to be times in these last days we're going to need to be encouraged, exhorted to do the right thing. And to, to, to not, especially when it's not popular. There's something, the world is getting very bold when calling good evil and evil good. And it's not going to be, it's not becoming popular to do the right thing. And we're going to need the body of Christ and through the gifts of the Spirit to edify one another, to exhort one another, to encourage and comfort one another, not, not biting one another. Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. In other words, we need to wake up and put away these childish behaviors. You know, in grade school, when kids didn't get along, it was childish. In adults, when we don't know, learn how to get along, that's childish. We need to put those things away so we can see clearly what is ahead. And then uh, back, back up a little bit in Ephesians 4. I said I would go here real quick. But in Ephesians 4, I'm going to pick up, I think, verse 28. Ephesians 4, 28. Let him who stole still no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that he may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking we be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. There's a lot being said here, but we grieve the Holy Spirit how we treat one another. And that, that does not belong in the body of Christ. But at the same point in time, we need to be ready to test every prophetic word that, that, we, ha that we give and that we receive. Um, so we, we can encourage one another. You know, let me just say this, in conclusion of this segment, we're talking about prophecy and judging prophecies. I believe prophecy confirms it does not lead. I want to say that again. I believe prophecy confirms it doesn't lead. I'm not led by prophecy. It confirms what God is saying to me. And I just want to make one last note here before I go on to some new territory this morning and change subjects. But... Through the years, 
recent years. Again, don't, people think I'm bashing prophecy. I'm not. I think we need to see it more. We need to be edified more. We need to encourage one another more. I've seen prophecy being done right, and it's awesome. It's wholesome. It's good. It's edifying. Okay, it's comforting. But there are some people, and there are some churches I've been to, that they are so prophecy, they have a codependency on prophecy. They are so codependent on prophecy that they, and, 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 and doing so, this is never picked up. This is never read. This, and there are some churches, this is never even preached. We've been to churches where, where they don't even mention the Word of God. They're just, it's an open mic and all they do is prophesy to one another. I'm all for prophecy. But I can't put faith in prophecy. I can only put faith in the Word of God. Faith, prophecies confirm. I don't want to despise prophecies. I, 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 I'm okay with the open mic thing to a certain degree. But at the same point in time, I don't want to be so codependent I need my <coughs> my prophecy for today. There's some people that treat prophecies like a horoscope. And again, I'm all for prophecy, but I, I'm, you know, I'm all, I, I'm going to magnify the word of God more. And a, a relationship with God. I'm talking about knowing the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm talking having a friendship with the Holy Spirit. Some people want the gifts and don't want the Holy Spirit. You know, that's backwards, that's wrong. You know, uh, the what are the gifts for? They're to edify the church. And and I understand in some of those churches, their, their purpose is to edify one another. I get that. And, and for that, I commend them. At the same point in time, I don't want to be, I don't, you know, I don't, everything should be done decently in order. And Paul gave us very specific directions the two at the most three. But I'm never, never going to magnify prophecies over spending time with the Word of God. Okay? And, and uh, I hope, you know, you might not agree with that, and that's okay. You have the, uh, the right. But uh, anyway, that's just what I feel. Okay. Uh, let's switch gears. I want to start talking about something different. And I'm not going to finish these notes today. Uh, we're talking about still knowing the Holy Spirit, but I want to talk about the Holy Spirit as a relation to oil and wine. Oil and wine. I'm going to use this to, to, to steer us in the direction uh, of concluding the series pretty soon here. But I've been mentioning along the way, we talked a lot about the different things. We talked a lot about the gifts. We talked a lot about uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I spent a lot of time with tongues and prophecy. And I've mentioned many times before, there's many manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Even in uh, the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, there was multiple manifestations. There was the cloven tongues, the fire, there was the, there, there was, uh, you know, speaking in tongues, and then there was also the, um, Joel talks about how they will prophesy, and then uh, uh, there was also, um, I mean, they, one, of the, one of the manifestations is that they appeared to better people like they were drunk. They weren't drunk. They were just filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about a little bit of that uh, in, this, in this segment of our teaching. But there's many manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And some people have a, a problem with that. Uh, there are many functions of the Holy Spirit. One way I can describe it just in a, in a natural way is I have many manifestations of functions. I function as a pastor, but I also function as a husband. I also sp- function as my, my other job, a notary public, you know. Not, most of you will see me function as a pastor, 
Very few of you will probably see me function as a notary public. None of you will see me, except for my wife who's sitting here, uh, will, will, will know me as a husband. But I have different functions, okay? Some, some of you function as a parent, a grandparent. Now, I, do, I have other functions too. I'm an uncle, you know, I'm a cousin, you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm a friend of some people, so I have different functions. And uh, at, at times, I've been employed. I function as an employer, employee. And I've, you know, in some ways, uh, maybe in the future, I'll function as an employer. You know, it's just, uh, uh, I have many functions. I'm still one person, <laughs> but I have many functions. The Holy Spirit has many functions. Yet, yet many people are afraid of, anytime we talk about the Holy Spirit, anytime we, we talk about the manifestations of the Holy Spirit and His activity, in knowing the Holy Spirit, because that's what we're talking about, we need to know how He functions. We need to know how He works. <coughs> Some people think that the only way the Holy Spirit works is with the gifts and with uh, tongues and prophecy. Those are some of the primary ways that we see it. But there's some other functions of the Holy Spirit that go beyond just the tongues and prophecy and the gifts. I mean, I... I'm not going to go here specifically right now, but he's our helper. He's our counselor. He's our teacher. He has many functions, okay? And we're talking about knowing... When we talk about the Holy Spirit, I never want the gifts to mean the main high. I want to talk about the gifts because they're, they're one of the functions of the Holy Spirit, but they're only one function of the Holy Spirit. There are, I want you to know the Holy Spirit, not just the gifts, not just tongues, not just prophecy. I spent a lot of time on those already. I mean, I'm already in week 13. I haven't even got to this part. <laughs> you know, and so I spent a lot of time on this. But there, I believe there's two major functions of the Holy Spirit. Yes, yes, there's a gift. Yes, there are, but I believe all these things, all these gifts, all these manifestations lead to two major things. The first one is, is to convict the world of sin. In other words, it's to bring everyone to a, a, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's his first function. That's the primary function of the Holy Spirit, is to bring everyone to salvation. To bring everyone to Jesus. That's the number one function. And if I'm using the gifts and prophecy and all these different things, and I don't lead Jesus to knowing the Holy Spirit, then, then to, to what purpose? That's the first function, okay? It, it's bringing everyone to a new birth. It, it's bringing the kingdom of God to every heart and to every man. We're going to go here eventually, but in John 14, Jesus is ministering to the, the Samaritan woman. <coughs> he says, whoever drinks the water I give shall be, shall be in him a well springing up to everlasting life. I'm going to spend some time on that a little bit later. I might not get to that to next week, but... He was ministering salvation to the woman at the well. Now, if you drink my water, there'll be a well in you of living water. The second major function of the Holy Spirit, the first one is to the world, to everyone. The second function of the Holy Spirit is to bring all the believers, and you can't be a believer until you receive the first function, purpose of the Holy Spirit, but to bring every believers, to baptize every believer with the Holy Spirit which we've been talking about the last uh, several weeks. I believe that's the second function of the Holy Spirit. The first one is to bring everyone to Christ, 
and make a, make a believer out of them, and, and once they're a believer, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because as in John 4, 14, or in John chapter 4, Jesus' ministry of salvation to the Samaritan woman about a well springing out of living water, he, in John 7, three chapters later, he talked about, He who believes on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. There's a difference between a well and a river. You don't, you don't build a high power electrical plant by a well. But you will, you can build them by a river. There's a difference between, everyone can have a well. But not, but, but, but not everyone has a river. You can't have, you can't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit until you're saved. The, the two functions of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to draw this out over the next uh, two weeks, is to bring everyone to salvation, and then, secondly, to, to, to fill them with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> with that in mind, I want us to go to Luke chapter 10. Um, um, I'm going to teach, be teaching from here. For the, for a little while, probably the remainder of this morning. Luke chapter ten. What I just shared is going to be the backdrop of what I just said, and I got to spend some more time on what I just said next week. Okay, but in Luke chapter ten, we have the parable or the story of the good Samaritan. And I'm going to teach. The story of the Good Samaritan and from a different perspective that you probably have never heard before. And I got this. I got these notes from Dwayne Sheriff. So I give him the credit for teaching this, but I'm adopting it and I like it. And I, I you know, uh, so just bear with me. I want to read the context, make a few notes, and then I'm going to go back and we're going to dissect this parable a little bit. Okay? So, uh, Starting with verse 25, we're in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. <coughs> and it says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I want to pause there just for a moment. First thing we need to know, that there was a lawyer. Okay? A lawyer asked a question. A po- What's a lawyer? There's a lot of different aspects of a lawyer I can talk about. But a lawyer is a professional debater. You ever been, you ever watch enough TV? A lawyer is a professional debater. Whoever's on that witness stand, whoever they're questioning, it's not so much a question. There's sometimes they have there's a question with an agenda. Sometimes they're trying to trap the, the person on the witness stand. They're trying to uh, 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 depend on what side of uh, of, of, of the. Uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the court that they are, they could be trying to get, corner them or trying to, uh, sorry, uh, disqualify their statement or their witness or their testimony. Okay? They are questioning them with the agenda. Uh, <coughs> a lawyer is a professional debater. But this lawyer asks a question. What's the question? And we gotta, when we read the story of the, of the Good Samaritan, this is the question that is, that, that is where, that stemmed this whole story of the Good Samaritan beginning with. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what do I need to do to get saved? That was the question. What do I need to get saved? Remember, I said the first, the first function of the Holy Spirit 
is to bring everyone to, uh, uh, to, to salvation, to Jesus. Okay? How do I get saved? And Jesus answers the question. And I believe in the preceding verses, in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus presents the gospel. I believe he talks about the fall. I believe he talks about our redemption. I, think, I believe he talks about the church and the Holy Spirit. And I believe he also talks about the second coming. All in this story of the Good Samaritan. Okay? So, in verse 26, And he, Jesus, said to him, the lawyer, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, The lawyer answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor, neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, the lawyer, wanted to justify himself and said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? That's the second question. The first one, how, how do I get saved? And after he gave the answer, we should love God and love our neighbor as ourselves, the question was, who is my neighbor? I'm going to come back to that. Okay? Then Jesus answered said to him, A certain man went down from Jerusalem, Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance... A certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. We're going to spend a lot of time this week and next week about oil and wine. I'll come back to that. And he set him on his own animal or beast and brought him to an inn. <coughs> excuse me, to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper and said to him, "Take care of him. Whatever more you spend." When I come again, I will repay you. And so which of these three, this is, the, this is Jesus' question. He gives a question with multiple choice answers. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him? Who fell among the thieves? And he said to him, who showed him mercy on him? And then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Okay? So... Again, let's go back up real quick, back up to verse uh, 25, I think it was. Yes. So, again, the lawyer is asking a question. First question is, how do I get saved? Jesus answers and says, well, what does, a, what does the scripture say? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you answer correctly. The lawyer asks a second question. Who is my neighbor? And then Jesus gives a story. Who is my neighbor? Because loving God and loving your neighbor was the answer of how to get saved. So whoever your neighbor is, in this context, is what, in addition to loving God, loving your neighbor as yourself is a qualifying thing to get saved, according to these questions and this answer. Okay? <coughs> but... And it also says in verse 29, 
But he, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Because you have to love your neighbor as part of the equation to get saved. Are you guys following me so far? Okay. And it talks about in verse 30, 32, how the priest, the priest and the Levi passed by on the other side. And then the Samaritan was on a, on a journey. He didn't come by chance. But he had a purpose. And he, and he began to t- t- attend to him. He poured on him oil and wine. And then he uh, put him in the inn. Uh, paid, paid, for, paid for his expenses. And said, I'm coming again. That's a hint right there. He's coming again. Okay? We'll spend some time on that just a minute. And then he asked a question. I want to go jump down to verse 36 real quick. Verse 36. He asked a question. Jesus is asking the lawyer now a question. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among three thieves? Who are the three? The priests, the Levite, and the Good Samaritan, right? You guys follow me so far? He, Jesus asked a multiple choice question, and he gives multiple choice answers. You ever, you ever take a multiple choice question in school? And you have the list of the answers. And the question is, who's, who's, uh, who of these three do you think was neighbor? Because the, 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 the lawyer's second question was, who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, who's neighbor in the story? And the, the only possible answers are the, 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 the Good Samaritan, the, the priests, or the Levite. Was neighbor to him who fell on thieves. See, remember the question is, who's neighbor that I have to love to get saved? Which of these three is the neighbor that I have to love like myself to get saved? Jesus tells a story. He gives multiple choice answers. Yet the church at large, for years, including myself, have gone outside the multiple choice answers and said, you have to love the guy in the road. But the guy in the road was not one of the three. The guy in the road was not one of the three in the multiple choice questions. Okay? Are you following me so far? Jesus gives a multiple choice question with multiple choice answers. Which of the three was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? Was neighbor to him who fell is in the road? The priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? And the guy on the road was not one of the three answers. There's not a fourth answer. You get to pick one of the three. <laughs> when you have a multiple choice question in school, and your answer is not one of the three, you don't get to pick that one. You can only pick one of the three. You, have, you, you can't pick the guy on the road. Because the question, Jesus' question, who of the three was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? Who was neighbor to him who was in the road? The guy on the road it can't be one, can't be neighbor to himself. Okay, you follow me so far? Be, and then, and so the, the Lord answers thirty seven. And he said, "He who shows mercy unto him, that's the one who's neighbor." Okay, and then Jesus said, "Go and do likewise." And we thought Jesus meant go and help the needy and help the poor and help the hurting. This is how we get saved. Now, now, now don't get me wrong. There's plenty of scripture 
Talk about how we should love one another. We should take care of the needy. We should uh, um, be righteous and godly and, and help one another. I can give you hundreds of scriptures about that. But in this parable, in the answer to the question, who is my neighbor and who was neighborly among these three, going to go do likewise is not what this parable is teaching. Jesus is answering a lawyer's question. What must I do to be saved? And who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives us a multiple choice question with multiple choice answers. He didn't say we must love the guy on the road, but love our neighbor. And who is neighbor? And I believe the answer to that question, without going too much further yet, the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the neighbor. Jesus. We need the, we need the, we need the one who is neighbor to him. In other words, in this story, is so far, even without me throwing in Jesus so far, we need to love the Good Samaritan. Whoever this Good Samaritan is, we need to love him as we love ourselves. Now, let's go back. Let's go back to verse 30. Okay? Follow me so far. I hope you're following me. Verse 30 says again, Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, and who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. I believe this certain man is Adam, mankind, who fell among thieves. How many of you know that it just says in John 10.10, 10, The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Sin. When man, Adam, fell into sin, he was stripped of his raiment. He was wounded. That's where sickness came from. Sickness came from sin. There was no sickness before Adam fell. He was wounded and he was left for half dead. There's many scriptures I can give you about how when Jesus, how God told Adam, when you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. And spiritually speaking, he died. Now, physically speaking, he lived another 930 years. But spiritually speaking, he was half dead through the fall. Adam, before the fall, was crowned with glory. He was crowned with a robe of righteousness. There was no sickness. There was no disease. He would, I believe, if he had not sinned, if man had not sinned, he would not, never have died physically. But he did sin. And he was, in my sense, he was left for half dead. It says in, in Genesis 2, 17, God said, In dying you will die. If you eat the street, you will surely die. And when you study that out in the Hebrew, that word die means in dying you will die. And he, yet he lived naturally for another 900, he lived 930 years. First Timothy 5, 6, uh, go with me real quick. Keep your finger in Luke 10. We're going to come back there. We're not, we're not done. First Timothy 5, 6 says this. I want to spend a little bit of time just talking about this dying, this half-deadness. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. There's a, there's a lot of scripture that can bring about, but when we are in sin, we can, we are dead. Without Christ, we are dead even while we live. We are dead spiritually. If we don't have Jesus Christ, if we are not saved, we are half dead. 
Spiritually speaking, we are dead. It, it actually, go over to another one real quick. Ephesians 2, 1. Ephesians 2, 1. And you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. I think that one's a little more clearer for some of us. When Until you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Savior, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead even though you live. Even though you're alive physically, spiritually, you were dead. A lot of us can't relate to that because uh, it's, it's spiritual language. But when you are dead spiritually, even though you're living physically, to me, that's half dead. Because that's half of you. Okay? It's half dead. And so, I believe through sin, through Adam's sin, Satan has stripped mankind of his righteousness, has stripped, has wounded man, and has left them half dead. We'll come back and spend one more time with that on the other side. But then verse 31, going back to Luke, Luke chapter 10, verse 31, Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place and looked and passed by on the other side. Did you notice, first of all, in verse 31, that the, the, the priest came by chance. The priest and the Levite, which to me represent the law, came by chance, but they couldn't help the man. The law cannot help those who the devil has stripped, wounded, and left for dead. They had to pass by. Go with me real quick. Keep your finger. We're going to toggle back and forth. We're going to keep come back to Luke. But go with me in Galatians 3.19. Galatians 3.19. What purpose does the law serve? It was added because of the transgression till the seed, Jesus, should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. The law came by chance. The law was added because of the transgression till the seed came. It was added because of transgression. It, the, it came by chance. The law was not given to save man. The law was not given to save you. The law can't save you. The law yeah, represents the oracles of God. It re represents the rituals of God. It represents the commandments of God. It's holy. It's good. But it can't make you holy and good. The law is good. I'm not bashing the law. But the law cannot save you. Only Jesus can. Okay? Jesus is saying, the law is not the neighbor. You, ha you, you have to, you have to, in other words, me, I'm getting ahead of myself. The law, going back to the, good, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the law is not the neighbor. You have to love like yourself to be saved, to be healed, and to be made alive again by the power of God. How I many you know salvation, in salvation you can be saved, salvation is also the same word for healing, and salvation can make you alive again. 
It speaks to being, it speaks to that being stripped and being, being wounded and being, uh, being left for half dead. The law had to pass by. The, the priest and the Levite had to pass by because it came by chance. It couldn't help. Okay? It was not, the law was not given to save man. The law was not given to heal man. The law was not given to prosper man. The law was not given to make you righteous. The, it was given. Why was the law given? The law was given to reveal your sin. The law was given to show you, you that you are the man in the road. That you were the one who's lost. That you are the one who is half dead. That you are the one that needs a savior. Again, there's several scriptures I want to go to real quick before we go back to Luke. Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. Verse 16. <coughs> Knowing that the... That, I'm going to go through these a little quick. Okay, to bear with me. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. But by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Romans 3.20 says this. And bear with me, I'm going a little fast on some of these supporting scriptures. But therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For the law is the knowledge of sin. You cannot be justified. You not you cannot be declared righteous. The word justified and righteous is the same word. No flesh shall be justified by the law. But by the law comes the knowledge of sin. First Corinthians fifteen. First Corinthians fifteen, verse fifty six. The steen of death is the stain of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 7, 7. Romans 7, 7. It says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law said, You shall not covet. The law is not sin, but the law is a knowledge of sin. The law, <coughs> the law was given to reveal that we are a sinner. We're the guy in the road. We're, you know, it kind of goes back to what we mean in Revelation chapter 3, the, the church of Laodicea, who's blind and the realize are naked. Go with me real quick. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3. Um, let me get the reference here. We'll pick it up in verse uh, 15. This is the church of Laodicea. It says, I know your works that you are neither cold or hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, have no need of nothing. But you do not know you are wretched, you are miserable, you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. There's a lot of people, they don't, 
you know, unless we have, have experience with the law, the law is, the law can't help. The Levite can't help. It has to pass by because the law was not given to save you. The law was not given to heal you. The law was not given to make you righteous. The law was to point you to Jesus that you need a Savior. The law was to reveal how ugly and miserable (coughs) and blind and wretched you are that you need a Savior. That without Jesus you are hopeless. You are half dead. You are alienated from the life of God. You are you're dead in your sins and trespasses. You are stripped of any righteousness. But remember the parable of the, the prodigal son? The, when, the, when the son came home, the first thing the, son, the father did, put a, after he kissed him and hugged him, he put a, the rub of righteousness on his shoulders. He put the sandals of sonship on his feet because servants didn't wear sandals. Sons did. Kids did. He put the ring of authority back on his finger, the family signet ring. He embraced them as a son, as a child. The law was not given to save you and make you righteous. The law was not given to make you alive to God. The law was given to make you guilty. To let sin be known. The law was given to strengthen sin. How many of you know, if the law wasn't given to strengthen sin, we think that's bad, but it's good. Because if you don't know sin's wrong, if you don't know, if you think you can go to heaven because you are living good in your own righteousness, and you haven't received Jesus, you the law needs to let you know you need a savior. It's law to tell someone it's wrong. You know, if a child's playing out on the street and cars are going by, and you're not, you're like, well, I don't want to disturb their their fun, but they go run out on the street and get killed by a car. That's not love. No, you need to tell them it's wrong. It's dangerous to play with matches. It's dangerous to play around the hot stove. You know, when you have a toddler, you take the knobs off the stove so they don't turn, accidentally turn the pot. The, it, it well, I don't want, they want, they want to play with the, the switches on the stove. No, that's not love. Sin, the law exposes your sin, exposes your, your half-deadness, exposes your nakedness. I'm not talking about cool. I'm not being crude. It's naked. It's without God, without the robe of righteousness. It exposes sin. It shows you you need a savior. It, it, you, by keeping the law, you're not going to get saved. But by okay. Second uh, Corinthians three six says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The law is called the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of death. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 and 9. The law stops your mouth and makes us all guilty. There's no confidence in ourselves. The law tells us we need a Savior, Jesus Christ, who I believe is our neighbor. The great Samaritan who came. The law came by chance. But go back to Luke, go back to Luke 10 with me real quick. I locked in Luke 10. I'm getting there. The law came by chance, verse 31, but verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. I don't know about you, but that sounds like Jesus to me. Had compassion on him. Where the law came by chance, the good Samaritan came, he was on a journey. Okay. 
He was on a journey. And when you're on a journey, you don't come by by accident. It's not by chance. He was sent by God on a journey. I mean, you know, when Jesus came, we, talk, we celebrate Christmas, Jesus coming. When, the moment Jesus came, he was on a journey. He was on a journey to go to the cross to redeem the whole world to himself. Now the whole world had not been redeemed, saved because they have not all received Jesus. But Jesus did die for the whole world. It says that in John 3.16. It says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. It says that in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Jesus was on a... I mean, when Jesus came, he was on an assignment. And he found us. A lot of times we say, I found, I found Jesus. Well, Jesus wasn't lost. He found us. He found us on the Jericho Road. He found us lost. He had compassion on us on that Jericho Road. He found us. And he had compassion on us. And then go down to verse 35. Or actually 34. So he, the good Samaritan, went to him, the guy in the road, and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Jesus, our neighbor. Remember, remember the, orig the original question from the lawyer was, how do I get saved? That was the original question. That's the ultimate question he's answered. How do you get saved? And the first thing Jesus does after he has compassion, this good Samaritan, is he bounds up his wounds. And I can go scriptures over scriptures. Two-thirds of Jesus' ministry was healing, involved healing the sick and setting the captives free. Over two-thirds of his ministry was bounding up people's wounds. And then he poured oil and wine. Now, I'm not going to have time to go in there today, but I'm going to be spending uh, a lot of time on this oil and wine. I'm going to come back to that, but let me finish the story. Verse 34 also says, He poured oil on him, he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. What's the inn? I believe the church. When God found us on that Jericho road, he did not just leave us out there. He brought us into the church. To be edified, to be encouraged, to be exhorted, to be comforted, to be ministered to, to be trained so we can go minister to others. He, remember, I talked several weeks ago about three baptisms. The first baptism is being baptized into the body of Christ. When we are saved, when Jesus find, found us on that Jericho road, the first thing he did was... He bound up our wounds. And then he put us into the church. To the inn. And it says in verse 35, On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever. When I come again, I will repay you. Who's the innkeeper? Who's the host? I believe it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is taking care of us. He's our, he's our intimate friend. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, I'm looking at my notes. I want to make sure I don't skip something here. 
I'll come back to a little bit of that later too. But verse 36, So then which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Okay, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan. We only have three options. <coughs> and then he says, and so the, the, the lawyer answers him, and he said, He who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. I don't know about you, but I always believed that being a good Samaritan, going to go do likewise, meant I have to go help everyone on the road. And I believe that's noble. I think that's something that we should do. But I don't think believe that's what Jesus is saying here. It's not one of the three answers. The question was, what do I need to do to be saved? The second question was, who is my neighbor? <coughs> the Samaritan, the neighbor was Jesus. And we are to love Jesus. See, remember the answer to the question, what do I need to do to be saved, was... Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Who was the neighbor? The Good Samaritan. Who's the Good Samaritan? Jesus. To be saved, I need to love God and to love Jesus as myself, according to this story. We are to love Jesus to be saved. Religion can't save us. The priest can't save us. The law can't save us. Rituals can't save us. Doing good deeds, even loving the guy on the road, can't save us. They have to pass by. We love Jesus. First John 3.23, this is his commandment, that we love him. And that we, and I believe we are to love our, our neighbor. We are to love one another. I believe all the law hinges on loving our neighbor. Paul talks about that. So I'm not I'm not necessarily taking that out of the equation. At the same point in time, I'm looking at this story. You know, Jesus said to Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. We spent a whole chapter on love. We spent Corinthians, the church in Corinthians need to know how to love one another. We need to pursue love. And I believe when we love one another, we are loving Jesus. Jesus said, When you done it to the least of these, you done it to me. So I'm not, I'm not boycotting that we are not to love our, our, neighbor, our neighbors and love different things. But in, in, in the answer, what do we need to be to save? Just because you are loving to one another, but you don't believe on Jesus, you're not going to heaven. There's only one way to get to heaven, and that's Jesus. And when you have the love of Jesus in your heart, we love because He first loved us. You need to receive Jesus so that you can love one another. That is one of the, the fruits of the Spirit that we're going to get into as we, as we close this whole teaching out. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit, having compassion on one another, edifying, encouraging, exhorting one another. But the question was, how do I get saved? And how do you get saved? You believe on Jesus. Jesus is your neighbor. Okay? And then he says, well, when I come again, uh, verse 35, at the end of verse 3, if I take care of him, or whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. To me, that's talking about the second coming. I believe we got a, a glimpse here of Jesus coming again. He's coming again. Okay? And then he gives, he, he talks about how he gives him uh, two denarii, or two pence, uh, depending on which translation you have. Two denarii. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but just uh, to bring some clarity here, because I'm almost out of time. 
But if you read the story, a parable in Matthew 20 where uh, the, 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 the worker is, is hiring different people throughout the day and he gives them all a denarii for a day's wage. A denarii is a day's wage. You, you, I, there's many stories I can talk about how denarii are pence, depending on which translation you're talking about, is a day's wage. You don't have to turn there, but in Revelation chapter 6, verse 6, when the third seal is open and we have the angel on the black horse, he says, do not hurt the oil and the wine. And we'll, we'll spend a little bit of time on that later. This oil and wine come, will come in later. But in 2 Peter 3, 8, and it talks about how uh, a, a, a thousand years is one day. And this good Samaritan paid the innkeeper two pence. A pence or a denarii is a day's wage. The innkeeper is the Holy Spirit that's been poured out in these last days. And I believe this is just a little glimpse of where if a, if a day is a thousand years. Let me back up. If a, if a denarii is one day, it's wage. And a day is like a thousand years. And we're already at the 2,000 year mark. And he paid for two days. Jesus is coming soon. We don't know the day or the hour. I'm not talking about that. But we do know the season. And Jesus is coming soon. It lines up. If you're following me. Okay. Now I'm just about out of time. But I want to go back to verse 34. <laughs> and he sent, went to him, the guy, he, Jesus, went to him on the road and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. You know, I'm going to be talking about this over the next, uh, next week, def definitely. I don't know if I'll even finish my notes for next week. But let me just mention this in closing. That this oil and wine is a type, I believe, of the Holy Spirit. And the two functions that I talked about at the beginning of, my, of this segment. About bringing people to salvation. And about bringing people to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's two major functions of the Holy Spirit. is to bring people to Christ. And that has to do with the oil. The oil, I believe, represents uh, the working of the new birth. And I believe the wine has to do with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And it fits the story. It fits the story that the first thing that he does, he bandages his wounds, and he he gets him oil, salvation, and he gets him wine, the Holy Spirit, and then he puts them in the church. Okay, we have one Holy Spirit with two functions, two major functions. We have other functions of the Holy Spirit, but there's two major ones. The first one is bring everyone to Christ. The first function of Jesus, the first function of the Good Samaritan was to bring salvation to this man on the road. The second one, which we're going to get into also, is to give him with wine. But how many of you know, we need the oil. We have to have the oil. But, I'll, and I'll, I'll open the door right now, but I'll, I'll talk about it more later. Remember the parable of the ten virgins? Ten, five were ready and five were not. <coughs> the five who were ready, they had what? Oil. The five who were not, did not have oil. Now, I'll be bringing out some other scriptures how oil points to salvation. And the wine points to the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You have to have oil to get to heaven. You have to have oil to be ready for the bridegroom. 
But wine, you don't have to have oil, but you can have both oil and wine. And I'll bring out next week, and I'm not going to go here yet. Uh, uh, um, but in Acts chapter 2, remember the Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit was poured out? And they thought they were drunk? And then Peter, Peter stood up and gave a message, and he preached out of the book of Joel. And he, he was explained, he said, These men are not drunk, but this is what prophesies to the prophet Joel. And he, he, he was addressing the, drunk, the, the, the appearance of being drunk. He said, They're not drunk, they're being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied, he quotes from Joel, but he only quotes from part of Joel. And we're going to go next week back to Joel chapter 2. And in Joel chapter 2, he talks about the oil and the wine. And we're going to be talking about the oil and the wine. And, uh, and so we're going to, hopefully I'm making sense with that. And so uh, we'll look at that more in depth next week and when we have more time. I'm out of time for the day. Uh, so I went got a low footer, but I had to uh, end last week's message and then I went to this week's message. I'm hoping this makes sense. I know... Uh, uh, this whole Samaritan story brings a whole other, lack of better word, twist than maybe you've heard before. Uh, and I'm not opposed to loving, you know, reaching out to the needy. But I don't think that what was what being communicated here. And to me, I'm loving the story of the Great Samaritan all the more. Uh, because it just, I see salvation. Because the question was, what do I need to be to do to be saved? And good deeds is not going to save you. Good deeds is good, it's noble, it should be part of the fruit of being saved and having the Holy Spirit, but it's not the source of being saved. Okay, that's the difference. You know, and there's a lot of people doing religion, good religious stuff thinking they're going to save because they're good people. That's not going to save you. Jesus is going to save you. I'm all for doing good deeds, and I think the church should be, of all people, should be an example of doing good deeds. And especially those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness. You know, that, that's all good deeds. But it's the fruit, not the root, not the source, not the seed. And the main function of the Holy Spirit, we can talk about the gifts and different things that we have. We've already talked about a lot of stuff. But the main function of the Holy Spirit is to bring people to salvation. The second thing is, for those who are saved, to fill them with the wine, the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that too. You don't have to have the wine to go to heaven, but you have to have the oil. And we'll talk about that in a lot more detail, a lot more scripture I can go, go into on these things. Lord, we worship you. We magnify you. And we just thank you for the cross. The, the gospel message is being presented here, how to be saved. And I thank you, Lord, you found all of us on the Jericho Road. And you're, you're bandaging our wounds. You, give, you brought us into the church. And we, we have the Holy Spirit, our good friend. And Lord, you're coming again. We worship you. We magnify you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock as we talk about effortless change being in the Word of God. All right.